Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The message is based on today's gospel reading about this rich man who came to Jesus very reverently, bowed before him, and asked the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This um, is really a sad story. And this sad story has two parts. It could have ended with gladness, but, but it didn't. The first part of this sad story begins with a question that was addressed to Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? You know, I would have expected Jesus to answer with something like he spoke to Nicodemus, we read in John chapter 3. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Whoever believes in me will have eternal life, Jesus said. And then one went on with verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Or maybe that he would have answered with something like uh, Paul spoke to that jailer in Philippi who asked Paul, what must I do to be saved? And Paul's answer was, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Instead, Jesus quotes from some of the Ten Commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And then the man replied, Teacher, Rabbi, I've done all this since I was a kid. I'm sure he was a good guy, uh, outstanding citizen of Israel, someone who others would say of him, if anyone deserved eternal life, if anyone deserved heaven, he's the one. He must have been a good man. But there was one commandment he didn't keep, and that was the first one. You shall have no other gods before me. What was his God? It was his possessions. They were more important to him than loving God. So, he was trusting in his good works to gain eternal life. And that's sad. Really sad. We can't throw stones at this guy for thinking the way he did. You can't, and I can't. This attitude, what, what must I do, has been part of our thinking since early childhood. I learned, like you did, that if you were going to get that cookie, a cookie or extra piece of cake or Whatever you ask for, you had to be a good boy. I learned, like you did, that to get a good grade in school, you had to work hard. You had to study. 
You had to earn it. I learned, like you did, when you entered the work field, that in order to get a raise or get a promotion, you had to work for it. And somehow we've applied this to our spiritual life, thinking that if I just work harder at it, God will love me more. What must I do to be rewarded? That thinking was sowed in our thinking at a very young age, so it's not surprising, as I said, that we've applied this to gaining eternal life. As a pastor, there were times when I felt like if I worked harder, did better, had a good sermon now and then, that God would love me more. I hope that doesn't surprise you. I mean, that was ingrained in me since I was a little kid, just like you. Well, anyway, that's stinking thinking, and it's really sad from God's perspective. The man who came to Jesus had one thing right, however. He used the word inherit. What must I do to inherit eternal life? You know, inheritance is a gift. When my parents died, my wife and I received a few thousand dollars from them. It was a gift. I didn't deserve it just because I was their son. It was a gift. And so, eternal life, the forgiveness of sins, having a right relationship with God is a gift. It has to be that way because you and I have blown it. Tell me, is there something in your heart right now you would not want anyone else to know? I'll bet you, you husbands, there are some things that you never told your wife. Or you wives, something that you never told your husband. You've never told anyone because you buried it down in here. And perhaps maybe you even feel, still feel guilty about it. That you've never forgiven yourself, even though God has. Well, even though God knows all the secrets of our heart, he still loves us. That's why Jesus was born. All that horrible punishment Jesus received was what you and I deserved. It was Jesus who said, Father, it's going to be difficult, but lay it on me. Lay it on me. I'll take their punishment and give them my righteousness. God the Father sees you and me through Jesus' eyes as someone forgiven, holy, righteous. It's a gift and it's grace. To know and believe that God has freely forgiven us is to move from sadness to gladness. I remember the time I visited a member in the hospital. He was seriously sick with cancer that had spread all over his body. We talked, prayed together, and when I was about to leave his bedside, he said, Pastor, would you pray for me that I can 
physically get out of the hospital. So I asked him, well, why would you want me to pray that? And that was probably a legitimate, uh, expected request. But the answer was a little surprising. He said, I'd like to get out of here to earn a little more money to give to the church. You know what he was thinking. If I'm able to do this, I'll have a better chance of being accepted by God. Well, I told him again what Jesus had done for him, explaining Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, that by grace, by God's love, this undeserved love that we're saved through faith, just by believing and accepting and trusting Christ as Savior, and not what you have done or hoped to still do. It's a gift. Your place in heaven is secure because of what Jesus has done for you. He died and took your sins away. You're forgiven. And so I asked him, do you believe this? And he said, thankfully, I do. I do believe it. In that hospital room that day, it went from sadness to gladness, from confusion and anxiety to peace and rest. In Jesus. How about you? Do you have the certainty that when you die, you'll be in heaven with the Lord? The man I was telling you about had heard a lot of sermons in church about the way to salvation, but somehow he still had doubts. And so I never take for granted that everybody sitting on a pew in a church on Sunday morning has that certainty, that assurance. Yes, when I die, I will be with the Lord. So how about you? Are you absolutely sure? It's so easy to have that rich man's mentality. What must I do? Have you done enough to earn God's acceptance? Of course not. When would you ever have done enough? It will just never happen. But Jesus has done enough. Jesus let himself be nailed to a cross. And right before he died, you know what he said? It is finished. It's paid for. Your sins are forgiven. And if you believe this, trusting in Jesus as your Savior, there is no condemnation. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Think of it. No condemnation because Jesus Christ was condemned in our place. That's why he came. And we're forgiven. This is grace. This is gladness.
Another part of this gospel reading that's sad is his response to Jesus' request. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Can you just picture Jesus' expression on his face? It was just coming out of his smile, out of his eyes, his whole countenance. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Can you imagine Jesus right now looking at you? And it's true. Looking at you with a face of love. I really do, he says. I really do love you. Well, he looked at this man and loved him. But then went on to say, there's one thing you lack. Go and sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then, come and follow me. Disheartened by what Jesus said, he went away sad, sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Why was he so sad? I think it was because he thought all of those possessions were his. And they really weren't. Some years ago, I was asked to speak about Japanese missions at a church in another state. And before the morning service, the Sunday school gathered in the sanctuary for a, a short opening service. And I was asked to speak to the children. So I did. And I hope I didn't miss anything this morning. It said we were to have a temple talk. I didn't know anything about that. But maybe I was expected to have a temple talk. Well, anyway, I spoke to the children. And then I finished and went to the back of the sanctuary and sat in the very last pew. And the thing that followed, and those who know me know that when I'm nervous, my nose runs. So, I'm sorry about that. I really prayed early this morning, Lord, help me so that my nose doesn't run. And I don't know, I believe he answers prayer, but maybe I'll have to wait till I get to heaven to get that one answered. Anyway, I sat in the last pew, and the thing that followed was the offering. So there's a, a young boy and a young girl that came back eventually to me, and stuck a plate, offering plate, under my nose. Well, I reached back in my wallet, got it out. <laughs> there were a couple dollar bills in there, some fives and a ten. And I was com contemplating what to put in. I thought, ten or even a five, that's a little bit much for a Sunday school offering. So by this time, they were looking at me like, well, do something. So I magnanimously pulled out a dollar bill and put it in the offering plate. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? Once in a while, we have those dollar bills in our pocket when the plate passes. Anyway, they took the offering to the front of the sanctuary, placed it on the altar, and then sang this hymn. 
take out the hymnal. Turn to hymn 781. 781. This is the hymn that was sung. It was just the first stanza. We give thee but thine own, whate'er the gift may be. All that I have is thine alone, a trust, O Lord, from thee. When that was sung, I was almost knocked off my seat. Here I was thinking what was in my wallet was mine to give, but it was the Lord's. It was the Lord's. It was his. I was only giving to him what was already his. And wow, was I stingy. I understand that next Sunday you are being asked to bring your pledges and present them to God. Now, Pastor Armstrong, I, I didn't know about this. I found out from Russell this week. I asked him, is pledge time coming up soon? Yeah, it's next Sunday. Well, I thought, how timely. Well, he's maybe talked about this already. But Pledge Sunday, our pledging to the Lord, it's really a time when we find out if we have this rich man's mindset or God's. It's a time to find out whether we have this rich man's mindset or God's. God's word teaches us about the tithe. You know, I really like to talk about money. You know why? Some people say, no, don't talk about money. People don't like to hear that. They'll not come back to church. I like to talk about money. Why? Because it's always a reminder how good God is to me. So God's word talks about tithing. That tithe goes all the way back to Abraham. The children of Israel were to give 10%, a tithe of all their possessions. It is 10%, 10% of our income. I want to ask if there are any members here of Grace Lutheran Church that still do not tithe. Maybe it's 2%, 3%, 5%. But how about a tithe? 10% of your income. God says, test me, test me. We read about that in Malachi chapter 3. And I, I quote, will man, will anyone rob God? Yet you're robbing me. But you say, well, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you're robbing me. Bring the fool. Amount. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be provisions in my house. Put me to the test. 
See if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I've experienced the curse. Now, I'm not fully sure what all that curse meant, but one thing I do know that was part of the curse for me, that any time I was stingy with God, it always felt like I had holes in my pockets. Where did the money go? There never seemed to be enough. But when we began to tithe and maybe even offer more, I discovered that when God said, test me, he followed through with blessings. There was always enough. There was always the needs that were met. Now, some may think, well, I can't do this. Lots of bills and financial responsibilities. I remember after a service one Sunday, a lady came to me and said, Pastor, I hear what you're saying, but I really can't do it yet. And she was telling me about all her bills and responsibilities. And then I said as kindly as I could, Ma'am, it sounds like you really need to tithe. That first verse in our second reading from Hebrews 3 says, See to it, brothers, sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. And the Lord says, listen to me. Test me. Listen to me. Hear me. Test me. God says, if you're not a tither, test him. And I say this not as law, but as an invitation to experience the blessings of God that perhaps you've never experienced before. Who's telling you this? It's the almighty God who created the moon and the stars and who created you. He's the one who enabled Abraham and Sarah to give birth in their old age. He's the one who protected Daniel by shutting the mouths of the lions. He's the one that took gallons of water and turned it into delicious wine. He's the one who took himself to the cross. Yes, God dying for you and me in order that we be forgiven. And the door to heaven was open for us. He's the one who promises, I will meet all your needs. I will meet all your needs. If this is true, and it is, I want to challenge you to test God and pledge at least a tithe of your income and then experience how God will pour out blessings upon you. You don't do it to get the blessings, but it just automatically follows. The holes in my pockets, when I do that, they've all been sewed shut. So do it. Just do it. Sadness, hesitation, reluctance, 
will turn to gladness. And those of you who are already tithing and maybe offering even more than that, I want to encourage you to think about giving more to the church, more in your offerings, or to other ch church organizations and charities. God loves a cheerful giver. And you can never, 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 never outgive God. It's impossible. So it's time to end this message from sadness to gladness. Sadness is trusting yourself for eternal life. Gladness is trusting Jesus and what he has done for you. Sadness is being stingy with God. Gladness is being a cheerful giver and being thankful for all the Lord has done for you. Your Heavenly Father, our Savior Jesus, they're givers. They're givers. And when we give cheerfully, we reflect the heart of God. And after all, that's what you were created to do. Let's pray.